1: I can't do that. It's alive! It's alive,
0: It's alive! I guess everyone's a Sometimes
3: you get injured doing these. The podcasts are very physically demanding.
1: Nobody You're, podcasts harder than Justin Bishop. No, That's right
3: it's, it's, uh, you got to work out beforehand. It's a lot of... It's bad on your back, honestly. I need a better... Podcasting is un- the un- most un-
2: animated Justin ever is.
3: That's actually very true. It takes a lot of it takes a lot out of me. <laughs> I am <laughs> I am very tired after we do these. <laughs> it's more energy than I put than I put myself through throughout most of the week. And okay. it's not
2: that you're not efficient, Justin, because you've you've just you've just optimized your entire body to to just use the least amount of energy possible for every task
1: yes yeah. so dj go back. it's called yeah. gary i like, yeah, to, I like to say
3: i like to say it's um a work smarter not harder situation <laughs> right right but on a podcast you got to put out some you got to put out those
2: vibes it's yeah. true speaking of podcasts we're doing one right now oh, sure. so well hello and welcome to cinema shock it's that Yay. podcast that we do <laughs> no it's a podcast we, we talk about all your favorite genre movies we tell you everything you fucking want to know about them and and things you might want not care about about them <laughs> exactly uh that voice. Sh- oh, wait I'm, I'm gary horde and he'll tell I'm you justin who, bishop and
3: Todd's todd's in Asheville this week
2: no uh, i'm not-
3: right here oh, oh i was
1: in nashville last week
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh he's back i'm oh, so welcome writer sorry. comedian and yeah. super trooper <laughs> todd, mr todd a davis to, we shamed
2: um, you on the episode todd don't did, did, you worry no i'm sure oh I'm,
3: yeah I'm, I'm gary was like yeah. should we shame him on the air i was like fuck yeah i mean he's not here when he knew about this for weeks <laughs> he, he and nailed
1: yeah. last minute yeah
3: not last minute like literally 25 minutes before we started recording yeah, yeah. Uh, this is what happened last week dj uh todd texted us 25 minutes before record time telling us he's in asheville yeah yeah very professional very professional i I know i know this is why you're this is why you're uh, you're still a special feature guest status yeah uh,
1: yeah i just knocked (laughs) myself down
3: not even a special guest just a guest just a guest Just a regular <laughs> run of the mill
2: guest
1: we got a real special guest we got today. a special
3: guest here today yes yes we do uh, first time on the show first time on this show Mr yeah. DJ Wilson welcome to the show DJ
0: hey thanks uh
3: you're <laughs> Zo- we're 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 recording via zoom and your background is Camp Crystal Lake which is cool but you're also wearing what appears to be a virtual hamburglar mask <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, it's
1: Zoro. Zoro is Zorro's much much cooler. No, not, I'm I'm saying, video, video
0: bandit.
3: <laughs> I didn't even know Zoom had that feature. That's very
1: strange. Maybe we should just I not refer either. to him by name.
0: Around. Just
2: uh, now, from now on, that voice is the voice of the video bandit. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well guys, this is it. This is our this is our Christmas episode. This Yay. episode if all goes according to plan is dropping and hopefully you're listening on Christmas Eve. So merry Christmas everybody. I'm sure you've Christmas. got
2: nothing else going on. So thank you for spending Christmas Eve with us.
3: Hey, you know what? Hopefully if people are being responsible, then they're they're not doing what they might normally do on Christmas. So they might need a little bit of accompaniment. We might be hanging out with people on Christmas Day because they can't see their families because of this fucking thing
2: that's going on. So gather around the fireplace, look at the stockings that the log, get some chestnuts roasting.
1: I got your Yule Log.
2: We're going to tell you the final chapter in our story about Shane Black today.
3: Yeah, so uh, for the last three weeks, this is week four, in true cinema shock, in true psychotronic fashion, uh, we've been discussing... Movies this month that uh, are Christmas movies, but only just sort of like Christmas movies. They're what we like to call incidental Christmas movies, but very specifically Christmas movies written by Shane Black. So, and we're, it's been a fun ride because it's not we've not just been talking about these movies, but as we've been talking about these movies, we've kind of been talking about the rise and fall, and then hopefully this week the resurgence of shane black himself so it's been it's been really fun it's been a fun story
1: i've had a blast with it it's not it's last so, week
3: i mean well, well not, not last, last week. Toucher <laughs> never gonna live this down
1: <laughs> two out of three two out of three and i'm here for i'm here for the fourth
3: did, did you, you watch re- you watched the movie last week i though, did
1: right? yeah i did
3: did you like it had i did seen? i really enjoyed it well wow, uh, that would have been a that would have been a good conversation it, i have. think
1: i think the only person who's more upset is actually my wife because it's one of my wife's favorite movies of all time and she, she, she should have come on the show she was also with me in Asheville. <laughs> <laughs> what a bummer i know i'm sorry bad.
2: anyway so uh, like, I, let's, let's have you go a- away dj is uh bethany around you can just bring her
1: up <laughs> just get her in here. it's cat here now can we get her on that she is, and she is working. I've, I always, I always try to uh, say, "Hey, do you want to come on?" Because she ends up watching the movies with me.
3: Well, uh, let's give a little recap before we get into this week's film. So, in his early twenties, Shane Black wrote *Lethal Weapon*. Of course, he was 22, I think, when he wrote it. About 24, 25, when it was produced, and he immediately became hollywood's new wonder kind like it was a massive success and automatically everyone in hollywood wanted to be in the shane black business then his spec script for the last boy scout sold for a then record-breaking 1.75 million dollars i don't think we were specific enough about this when we talked about this but the last boy scout spec script sold for 1.75 million dollars it wasn't the script It was the spec script. And then the same thing happened again a few years later uh, when he broke records once again for The Long Kiss Goodnight, which was also a spec script, uh, which sold for $4 million. And it's sort of the, I guess, failure of that movie kind of killed the whole spec script thing in Hollywood. Like, people stopped spending that kind of money on unfinished scripts. It It was kind of because of The Long Kiss Goodnight that that happened. Which, I mean... Which here's four million on us on a spec script is insane? Anyway, yeah, it's,
1: it, for 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 listeners who might not know what a spec script is, it's it's basically an expanded outline, a treatment right. with some scripted dialogue. It's very it's very sparse, but for to drop that kind of money on what is essentially an idea on a napkin is crazy.
3: Yeah, yeah, and as Gary mentioned last week, the sale of The Long Kiss Goodnight, that script made him kind of a pariah in the, in Hollywood. You know, he was considered, if anything, he was considered a gifted hack. Like he, he was not well liked by a lot of his peers in the industry. Then after that movie bombed, the market for his scripts dried up and he was already considered a failure. Dude's like barely 30 years old and considered a has-been. And he wouldn't work again for another
2: nine years after The Long Kiss Goodnight. Wow. So at first, at first he's celebrating, right? Like he, he buys the the, Han, the Hancock party house, Hancock Park Park party house, I think is what they called it. And he, he gets right back into the thick of it. And we've seen this process already, like just as doing a recapping. I mean, he, he does it after Lethal Weapon 1. Then he gets bummed out on part two. He disappears. Boy Scout and Last Kiss Goodnight. He's back. Party Animal Black is back. But as he calls it, he didn't see it was the beginning of the end of his lucky streak, because the writing community, they just, I mean, they totally hated him. They shunned him. Yeah. They they shunned
3: shunned him and and the Academy shunned him. He actually applied for, uh, for membership in the Academy and they rejected his application because in, in the, in order to join the Academy, you have to have what they say they have. They say you have to have produced two, works of note well, yeah that was it i mean yeah dude had already made lethal we- his credits already at this point were lethal weapon one and two the last boy scout the last action hero and the long kiss goodnight and the fact that they shunned him and and rejected him wasn't because they didn't think that those were of note i mean they they still especially lethal weapon made a lot of money and lethal weapon two made a lot of money they were shunning him
2: he, I mean, he tells a story where when he tried to join the Academy, he sends out the thing, he gets a letter back and it says that he is unsuitable for membership. That was the wow. quote. Uh, they say, uh, they, said, they told him to back come to back, back when, when he, he had, had more credits. credits. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he says, quote, I had done long kiss Night, last action Hero, lethal weapon one and two, the last boy scout. And when I realized this wasn't my imagination, this was a deliberate snub. This was a, uh, we don't want that high-priced hack around us. Wow. Uh so uh, by 98, he just he disappears again. I mean, he pops up, he's in like uh as good as it gets, like in a role, and he's still famous yeah, for like, his I parties. Mean, like that now was James L. Like,
3: Brooks, which was his friend and mentor, and
2: he gave him a small cameo. So that you know, yeah, yeah. So it's like little stuff, but he's still partying. He's now he's getting wasted, now he's getting blackout. Uh, he's yeah. uh Lockout. But he's mostly he's mostly in brooding mode now because uh, how, how basically Hollywood had fucked up the perception of him again. Uh, all he wants to do is be like a good writer. And all he is is considered like this lucky dude. Uh, like Justin said, a hack. Now he's like this rich hipster party boy is how people know him. As he puts it in another quote I got here, he says, they didn't understand I was not doing this for the money. I wanted to tell a good story. They saw me in a house full of supermodels, not a house full of books. Nobody knew me. Wow. Oops. But they did make a comeback of sorts with his
3: directorial debut and the subject of today's episode, which is 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang.
0: Harry was a small time crook. Oh boy. Till he opened the door.
1: Oh no, no, we're not ready for your audition. Just take him. He's ready. You ready, right? Harry? To a really big break. Quit acting like the good guy. You got your partner killed. You killed him. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. Old school method. Get me Gabe Perry on the phone. But he'll need a real cop. Detective lessons tomorrow for your acting. Oh, are you the uh, consultant? If he wants to act the part. You must be Gabe Perry? Still gay? Me? No. I just like the name so much, I can't get rid of it. From Shane Black, the creator of Lethal Weapon. Do not play detective. Moron. Go home before the bad guys do something bad
3: to
0: you.
1: Comes a mystery. It's a frame-up. First things first. Do you have the corpse? I I got rid of it. You threw it away.
3: Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find?
1: A picture of me?
2: No. The definition of the word idiot,
1: ow. That starts with a kiss. Why'd you lie to me? It was an excuse to stay around you, so I mean, I think. Ow.
0: Did I just cut off your finger? Yeah.
1: It's on the floor, pick it up, pick it up. And ends with a bang. Where is the girl? (gasps) You put a live round in that gun. Oh yeah, there was like an 8% chance. Who taught you math? Robert Downey Jr. What do you think, I'm stupid? Val Kilmer. Yes, I think you're stupid. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang.
3: Now, I say he sort of made a comeback because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was not a financially successful film. Not a lot of people saw it upon original release, but its it's cr- critical and creative success helped to spark a Sort of nostalgic reappraisal of Black's past work. People sort of looking at Lethal Weapon and, and The Last Boy Scout and seeing them for how good they really were. Uh, and it also helped to launch him into the pantheon of A list directors, which would, because this would essentially lead to work on franchises like Iron Man and Predator. But it wasn't an easy road <laughs> to get there. Uh, after the scathing things, written about him, like, this kind of what Gary was was referring to. He kind of got his feelings hurt, you know? He, I think you had a quote last episode where he's like, I'm a sensitive guy, <laughs> you know, I'm, I I was very sensitive. He's got thin skin, and he took things very personally. And so he thought, you know, he thought, I don't have to write action, I just want to write movies. He was known as the action guy, but he wanted to prove that he could do something else. But he had writer's block. <laughs> so for three years, he just couldn't write uh, and he said, this is a quote from Shane Black. He said, what I needed was to find the fun again, to reacquaint myself with why I decided to write in the first place. It's not supposed to be a burden. And when he couldn't write, he would travel. He went all over the world. Uh, he got in a long-term relationship. And those things, he says, kind of supplied him with the insights that, he'd been miss- that he had been missing because he had essentially missed out on his 20s because he hit success so young and so fast that he didn't really get a chance to experience the things that a lot of people his age get to.
1: And the thing, and the thing that, you know, was driving him, you know, writing in Hollywood had essentially become like a, a school assignment and, you know, had lost the fun.
2: Yeah. One of the things he was struggling with, he said, I'm struggled, I struggled for quite a while with trying to see like a child again and realizing why I started in the movies in the first place to get the excitement back uh, and lose some of the, more unsavory lessons I'd been forced to swallow. And with with Kiss Kiss, like, I mean, as he's going into this, I think what he's thinking there is he talks a lot about missing the ability to tell stories that felt like the novels that he loved and uh, really have control. I mean, Justin, you talked a lot about, like, last week, that coming off of uh, Long Kiss, he had kind of, I think it was there either last Boy Scout where he was kind of talking about, like, he, he just couldn't do this anymore if he didn't have, he wanted to direct. Like he, he wanted, wanted to have it, yeah. a, a piece of it. And he, he talks about like things that he loved were like these obscure movies uh, from the 60s, these thrillers that don't have happy endings all the time. Like Hollywood had like forced that on him, which is funny, kind of ironic, I guess, considering the end of, the, end of this movie. But well, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he talks about like Vanishing Point, Point Blake from 1967 or Night Moves from 75. He talks about like they have like a, a bittersweetness about them where you don't just feel like Poppy happy at the end, and he says, but everything he would ever try to write before would always get shut down with, like, this doesn't fit our demographic, like, this is not what the people want to see. Uh, he talks about having a great experience with Warner Brothers. Obviously, Hollywood's full of pressure to sanitize everything that you do, and uh, he wanted to make something that felt a little dirty. He he talks a lot about, like, in interviews, I kind of hit on it last week, but that basically, like there's he said he calls it the prevalence of the moral majority it's like you can't get away with anything harsh uh because some citizens group is going to come down on you and trash it
3: eventually that writer's block that he had was broken by a suggestion from his mentor James L Brooks who James L Brooks suggested that to him to imagine what it would be like if Jack Nicholson from as good as it gets played Jack Nicholson in Chinatown so he decides oh. he's going to like write a romantic comedy, kind of a romantic version of Chinatown. That kind of like that idea, a light bulb goes off in his head when James L. Brooks said that, and it lights a fire under his ass. He, he's he got this idea to be excited about, something he hasn't had in three years. And he starts writing what he thought was going to be a heartfelt romance, uh, the quirky story of two kids in Los Angeles. And he shows it to James L. Brooks, and, and James L. Brooks likes it at first. He likes what, what's going on. But as he started writing more, Brooks read it and he goes, "Um, I think you really kind of lost a thread here, man. I don't know what you're going what what you're doing with this. Where you're going with this." But Brooks did like the script. He like he liked some of the stuff in the script. He did say there was some good stuff in here, some stuff worth using. So Black is kind of able to go through the script and salvage elements of it that that are working. And then Black says, he says, "I remember distinctly the moment looking at this big monster laid out before me where I said, you know, fuck it i have to put a murder in it and so i put in a gay detective that gal <laughs> kill that val kilmer eventually played and i put in a murder and it became kiss kiss bang bang that was he still he had to still make it a t- detective story it starts off as a he started off as a romantic comedy but man he loves detective stories so he still had to like
1: put
2: that element into it
1: Yeah, don't don't fight your natural inclinations just you know <laughs> Go with your strengths.
2: <laughs> well, one of the things he talks about a lot, I mean, we we talked about it, obviously. We hit on this. I mean, when he was a kid, this is a guy who's just reading steadily detective novels. That's like his favorite thing, James Bond stuff and like all of that. Talking about this, he says, uh, quote, there aren't that many caper films or private eye films. The leg up that I have, the advantage of which I'm aware of was that I have read thousands of books like this. I have them all at home. There's just like I have a collection of paperbacks with these Robert McGinnis covers. It's it's the sort of reading that is occasionally craftsman like and almost carpenterish. But every once in a while, you pull out a litera- literary plume and you just go, "Holy shit, that's a gem!" And taken as a whole, this sort of sea of private eye literature in all its forms. Uh, from, he calls it from the sort of swinging dick, veiny private eye to the more serious stuff. Uh, it encompasses 30 years of literature that I have access to at my house. I have every book. I've collected everything that I could ever find. And so I just pick and choose the little bits and pieces that I have, have just assembled in my head.
3: Oh. And I think that this film is the closest of any of Black's films that we've talked about to those detective novels. Uh, his I think, goal-
0: I think it's maybe one of the closest ever like, yeah because yeah shame the, black the, 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 or otherwise the, yeah the narration by robert downey jr it just nails that unreliable kind of uh pompous egotistical yeah. arrogant private eye that all of the that is just present in all of those books and you just yeah. don't get that even in the best crime movies
3: yeah i agree I it's it, it. like it just feels like a pulp novel You know, very much. His goal for this film was to kind of reinvent the genre by by populating the script with more realistic characters, uh, and in a modern setting with, but with kind of the spirit of the fifties and sixties. The script's crime plot actually was borrowed heavily from Brett Halliday's book, "Bodies Are Where You Find Them," uh, which does get a credit in the beginning. Like, it's not a based on, but it's I think it says partially based on in the opening credits. So Black finished the script, which was originally called You'll Never Die in This Town Again, which is a fucking great yeah, name. Yeah, it's a great title. <laughs> uh,
2: he uh, when she's that, asleep on the bus uh, leaving Indiana. Like she has the, the the Johnny Gossamer book she has is called You'll Never Die in This Town Again.
3: Nice. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that, but that's a great name. It's a great name yeah. for a, a movie or a book. But he finished the script in 2001, but he still had <laughs> problems trying to get people to read it people didn't want to be in the shane black business they certainly did not want him to to direct a film Uh, the guy had never directed a film and he had already lost a lot of clout in hollywood by this point so not only like the idea of getting someone to sign on with him as a director was a that was a far-fetched dream and but it was even a it was even hard to just to get the script in front of people people didn't care (laughs) <laughs> about a new Shane Black script, even directors that he'd worked with over the years, people that he knew very well, uh, producers that he worked with, rather, would say, "Yeah, it's okay." You know, they'd say it's a little misogynistic for our taste. Uh, that was a quote from Shane Black from some things he was told, which I don't necessarily agree with in the final script. But according to Black, uh, one of the studio executives that he he showed the script to said, "I'm sorry, we're just not doing period pieces." So he obviously had not read the script, which of course is not a period piece, (laughs) but I guess maybe he saw that it was like a film noir and, you know, a detective story and assumed it was like set in the forties, but it's, it's very much not. But then his old friend, Joel Silver decided to help him out. And Silver had his own company at this, at this time, Silver Pictures, and was able to scrape together about $15 million for them to make the movie. So now it was time to cast the film. By the time casting comes around, the film has changed titles. It is now called LAPI, which is a terrible name, honestly. Yes. And Truly actors, atrocious. Yeah, it's terrible. It's, it sounds like a like terrible CBS TV show, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: <Some> <laughs> or of the if it was NBC, it'd be set in Chicago.
3: <laughs> yeah. Actors considered for the lead role included Benicio Del Toro, Hugh Grant. I could see either of them. Benicio's a little maybe hard nose for the, the Harry character. Hugh Grant's a little, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not going to put it past him. Hugh Grant's a good actor.
2: I can see uh, both of them more as gay Perry.
3: Yeah, Hugh Grant, I could definitely see as gay Perry. Actually, I could see Benicio yeah. gay Perry. He would be great. Yeah. He would do that really great. well. And uh, Johnny Knoxville was heavily in running and almost signed on to the role.
1: Well, I think uh, Knoxville, was the, Knoxville was slated to be a, uh, the lead role for a comic book adaptation called Hawaiian Dick, which I wonder if this ended up taking the place of, but mm. they both, uh, well, his role in this fell through and then the project <laughs> Hawaiian the Dick other fell one. through.
3: It's not, not, not meant to be for Mr. Knoxville. Yeah. And Robert Downey Jr. Learned about the film from his then girlfriend, later wife, uh, Susan Levine, who was Silver's. She was kind of Joel Silver's right hand Person. And at the time, Downey was finishing up work on the Holly Berry film Gothica, which Silver was producing. So Black would see him around the office, and uh, they, they, uh, Gothica was kind of finishing up, and they, you know, Downey was still kind of hanging around the office because his, his fiance worked there. And Black and Silver just kind of looked at each other and they're like, why well, don't get Robert in here to read for this? They just needed somebody to like read lines. He starts reading lines and they're like, wait a second, like this is working this is really good. Like he's really good at this. Like it's natural. And so they actually brought him in for an official audition after that. And they just loved the way that he handled Black's dialogue. It was as, as Black put it, he said, it was like, I typed them right into his mouth. Like it was unlike what anyone else had done with Black's dialogue in the past. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. It's pretty pretty much one of those like uh, serendipity, I guess. Interesting that, that, that Downey was there, and yeah, like you said, Justin. I mean, to hear him talk about it was just like oh, he's here. Do you want to read this real quick? And then they would hear him. They're like, "Well, shit! It's it's like we don't like have the to do anything." The film. <laughs>
1: well, wasn't Gothica kind of the start of like Downey's comeback? And then yes, you know, leading up to leading up to Iron Man. So like Gothica, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Yeah, yeah.
3: I'll, I'll, well, Man. actually, while we're talking about that, let's get let's do a little. Side journey into where Robert Downey Jr. was at this time. Yeah. So we all know Downey now. He's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. I mean, he's like you said, he's he's Iron Man. He is. He was for two or three years in a row the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Right. But in 2005 his stock was pretty low. In in the 80s and 90s he was a star. He had appeared in films like Less Than Zero and Soap Dish. He was nominated for an Academy Award for best actor for the lead role in 1992's Chaplin, which, which is, is amazing. Incredible performance. Yeah. Uh, he appeared in Shortcuts, he was in Natural Born Killers, he was in Richard III. Like the guy was a rising star in Hollywood until he hit some legal troubles and some personal troubles. So from about 1996 to to 2001, he was arrested numerous times on drug charges, everything from possession of of just pot to cocaine and heroin. He went through drug treatment programs several times uh, with a little
2: success. He actually had a meth lab that later became the uh, workstation for Tony Stark, where he built the Iron Man suit,
3: <laughs> that, is, that is not true. <laughs> Gary is making things up. In, in 1996, thoughts in April and opinions of, of Gary
1: Horn do not necessarily reflect <laughs> the thoughts and opinions of Cinema Shock.
3: <laughs> in April of 1996, he was arrested for possession of uh, heroin, cocaine, and an unloaded 357 Magnum while he was speeding down Sunset Boulevard. And then a month later, he's on parole for that charge, and he tres while on parole and while under the influence he trespassed into a neighbor's home and fell asleep in one of their beds. In a RoboCop uniform.
2: Huh? In a RoboCop uniform. (laughs) I was
3: about to say, which is very similar to what happens (laughs) with the the robot at the beginning of this movie. Uh, And for that, he received three years of probation and was ordered to undergo compulsory drug testing. And then in 1997, uh, he missed one of the court-ordered drug tests and had to spend six months in L.A. County Jail. Then in 1999 he missed another required drug test and was sentenced to 3 a 3-year prison term at the California Substance Abu- Abuse Treatment Facility and state prison. He he didn't spend the full 3 years there. He got let out early with with time served uh after about a year. This was uh, this is 99 2000. Uh, he had a couple other arrests. I mean, he he had gotten another role. Uh he was a recurring character in Ally McBill actually, which was very popular oh, yeah. at the time and his character was very popular and he he filmed quite a few episodes of that after a couple of re- a, a couple more arrests in 2001 he actually got fired from that job because they just could not i mean they I they couldn't they couldn't, they couldn't trust him. him they couldn't yeah. trust him uh but yes and it came to a point where he could not get cast in film productions because the productions could not get insurance for their films if Downey was involved so finally after after his final arrest he's like, he knows that it's likely he's either, he, he's going to either face another stint in prison or he's going to have to go to court ordered rehab. So he made the decision to get help for himself to get his shit together. That's good, And he was able, so we did, he went into rehab voluntarily and he, he got sober uh, and he was able to return to the big screen after his friend, Mel Gibson, actually full so- circle. Yeah. Yeah. And which, you know, we, 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 Joke a lot about Mel Gibson being like a shitty dude, but this is a really good thing that he did for his friend. Uh, Mel Gibson and and Downey had been friends since they worked together on Air America years earlier, and Gibson actually paid Downey's insurance bond for the 2003 film The Singing Detective, which is actually a pretty pretty fun movie. Nice. That kind of paved the way for his comeback. That led to his work on Gothica, uh, and even on Gothica, Joel Silver withheld 40% of Downey's salary until production wrapped just as insurance against his past behavior. So when, when he was cast in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Downey was still very early in that sort of comeback phase and thus was uh, pretty cheap. <laughs> he was inexpensive. He kind of fit well into the film's you know $15 million budget, which is funny now because he gets paid more than this film's entire budget just for showing up as Iron Man in
2: a movie now. Yeah, to hear Black talk about it, he says, it's like, so funny. Uh, some of the stuff I watch is actually from the the commentary, which, by the way, just to throw it out there, I don't know how many movie commentaries people like to watch, but the one for this one seems like one of the most fun commentaries yeah, uh, out there. But, because it's Val, Black, and uh, Downey. Mm-hmm. And so they're all three there just talking about, and, and like, Robert Downey Jr., like, farts into the microphone <laughs> at one point. Kilmer, like, leaves and uh, he's like, no, come back. It smells like a baby farted in a pool. <laughs> it's like, just, it's like, they're just having a lot of fun. And like, now leaves at one point. Is like, I got to smoke a cigarette. And just like, it's, it's just weird. Uh, like, Kilmer takes a call at one point and is like, hold on. I got, uh, I got Joaquin Phoenix on the phone. Let me put it you know. <laughs> they're like, it's just, it's a weird, it's just a weird, quirky thing.
3: Just dudes hanging out. You know, yeah. Watching a the movie,
2: they made and and Val Kilmer just well, anyway. Val Kilmer's a weird dude himself, but uh, but yeah, Bl- Black talks about that. You know, it's so funny to him because nobody would believe this story now, but he had to fight with the studio. He and Silver had to fight to get Robert Downey Jr. because the studio was like, Are you fucking crazy? Like, yeah. not that guy, yeah. And he said, He was like, It's weird because if you tell somebody now, like, yeah, the studio just really didn't want Robert Downey Jr. He's like, that sounds like an insane statement. <laughs>
3: well, well. not only was he an, a problem for, for productions in the past because of his behavior, but at this point in his career, he had fallen off the map and was not considered a box office draw. So even after they cast him, because Downey wasn't like a name that they thought would sell the film, they wanted a bigger name to play. They wanted like a big star to play Gay Perry. Uh, Ford, Har- Harrison Ford was actually one of the names that the studio was throwing around trying to get. Uh, which I don't know, maybe could have been good, but Harrison Ford just doesn't seem to have a sense of humor. So it's hard to say, <laughs> but I, he, he, he might, he might, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're, they're thinking the studio's thinking was that with a bigger name attached to one of these roles that they could make a big $80 million version of this story and make it like a big, big deal. And this kind of back and forth went on for several months and silver and black just kind of got sick of the conversation and said, "You know, let's just make this movie for 15 million dollars the way that we want it. Let's get two really good actors. We've already got one, and let's not worry worry about making this a big budget extravaganza." And it was actually Susan Levine, who uh, uh, Robert Downey's fiance, who suggested Val Kilmer for the role of Gay Perry because she was a big fan of real genius. <laughs> She she thought that he was really funny and real genius, <laughs> even though he had never he had not really played a lot of comedic roles in his career. Even though, which is funny because he started his career with like real genius and top secret, but over the years had become known as a dramatic actor. And I don't know if she was aware. aware
2: of it at the time, but at, at the time for Kilmer. He had been trying for com- more like light comedic roles, but nobody he wanted, wanted to give to them do to more him <laughs> more com- comedy. And he said he couldn't even get cast for that stuff. Yeah, like, nobody would do it.
3: Nobody wanted him in those in those uh, comedic roles. So, but when he he came in and audition for this, he had just become available. He just finished another movie. He was basically just cast on the spot.
2: You know, when he came in to read for this, and he had met yeah. like literally uh, a week before I think they said he had met Robert Downey Jr. like at a party in Hollywood and had just started talking to him and thought he was like amazing, just like loved hanging out and talking to him. And so it was like such it was a big surprise like when he took the role. And uh realized that like he's he's working with this guy, he was like super happy for it. And there he he was seems like a really cool guy because they said even as a show of support, like he refused to drink the entire production or go out partying or drinking or anything like that during the whole time they filmed this. And uh so it worked out for Kilmer too. Like it seemed like a really cool moment. And supposedly, I mean, I, I, I didn't have time to verify this, but you know, they I read a few places that said that gay perry's considered to be one of the first openly gay characters in a Hollywood action movie, you know? So like maybe, maybe the action accurate.
3: genre, I could see that in, in, oh, in this yeah. particular yeah. genre. Nice. Uh Yeah. I mean, th- and the thing is the, the studio, you know, they cast Val Kilmer and the studio's like, wait a second. Now Val Kilmer has always been kind of notorious for being kind of difficult to work with. So you've got Robert Downey Jr at this point in his career and you got Val Kilmer and the studio is like, "Wait, these are the two guys that you you you're putting in this movie for a first-time director? Are you insane?" You know, Shane Black says that once they had the the, the guys cast, the studio wasn't too concerned about how they cast the role of, of the the lead uh, actress.
2: Well, because- if I could say to by the way, Justin, just to, to, sorry, just to, while I'm thinking about it, just to capitalize on the difficulty of Val Kilmer, based on the stuff I've heard in the interviews I've seen, I bet that he is not, is not as difficult to work with as he is a fascinating lunatic. Yeah, like he seems like a, just a really, really weird guy. Like in the commentary stuff I heard just randomly Downey would be like telling a story and Kilmore would say like, if they made a sequel to this movie, it would be broke back. Bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like very, just like nonchalant. And then everybody's like, all right. And he's like And then they're like talking about stuff. And he'll just be like, do you know, in that scene, when we kissed, I was thinking about Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh like black would be like, so on this day we like shot something and uh you know we were shooting here, will just show up in and he says, like uh I actually have this one quoted. It's like it's incidental, not to do with the film, but when you say things like in the day, that day was a Wednesday. If you look it up, it was a Wednesday. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was like, Thanks, Val. <laughs> it's
2: just like he's Fucking a weirdo. weird dude. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. Anyway, sorry, the actress. What?
3: Yeah, yeah. So the actress ends up being Michelle Monaghan. Michelle Monaghan was a relative unknown at the time. I mean, she's gone on to become a, a moderate star. She's never been like movie star status, but I think she's incredible. I think Michelle Monaghan is incredible in this movie and in general. I mean, everything I've seen her in, but I think yeah. she is Absolutely. One of the gems of this movie. I know people True talk detective, about detective. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. But well, I know yeah. people talk about Kilmer and, and Downey in this movie, as they should, because they're both incredible. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But I think she Michelle, hangs Vonigan, with like, yeah, she does. And, and she does this thing, I think, where she comes across in certain moments, like just super like incredibly sexy. Like you can see why Robert Downey Jr. is or why why Harry is. Totally smitten with her, you know, 20 years later. But then in the same scene, she can be like goofy, like hanging with the boys, you know, type vibes, you know, like she she plays all of that so very well. And that's the thing that like the black says, you know, when she auditioned that a lot of the other actresses who were auditioning. We're trying to do the like tough girl thing, you know, uh, in certain scenes, and she just has this natural ability to like. She she still seems like she's capable, but without doing this put on tough girl thing.
2: You Very think about going from like her her in the car, like trying to chase somebody down with a gun or something. But my my stuff is like like I keep thinking about like the scene at the bar where he runs into her, you know, yes. and they just have dialogue going back it's and odd, forth, it's and great. you're like. Man, that's Native not easy American. To do. Joe Robert Pesci. Downey Jr. is American RDJ Pesci. is like something special when it comes to like spouting off that shit and like yeah. she's she's there like firing back and forth. Yeah, with them. she that's keeps up fun. with them,
3: and it's it. Her character is. I mean, it could come off as cliche because like she's written as a cliche purposely. I think uh, that that kind of Hollywood cliche of this girl from the Midwest who who came to Hollywood to make it big. Uh, but you know, she—I think she says she's 34 in the film. I think Monaghan was was considerably younger than that at the time of filming. But all she has to show for it is like this dumb beer commercial with a bear who says, "What do I know? I suck the heads off fish."
2: It's Lawrence Fishburne,
3: <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> which is which is really—I don't—I could not find the story of how Lawrence Fishburne got that gig. Neither, <laughs> but I, maybe he was just friends with some people involved and they needed somebody to do the bear, so he's like, oh "Yeah, well, I'm, I'm available." Well, he's with Joel Silver. Well, yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this would have been, yeah, you're right. This would have been after the Matrix. So yeah.
2: I guess it probably was Joel Silver. Yeah, they um in the commentary that just like got thrown out. Like it was yeah. just like Oh yeah, that's Lawrence Fishburne. Hey, That's like, Lawrence Fishburne. That's a big deal.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so unsurprisingly, the uh principal photography for this movie took place in Los Angeles, believe it or not. Uh, the opening party was actually filmed at Shane Black's own mansion. That was that was his mansion where oh, that wow. is. That's Yeah. Cool. Uh, before shooting began, the title was changed to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang because, as Black says, he says it described how the plot was half romantic comedy and half murder mystery. The, the, now, the title Kiss Kiss Bang Bang comes from a Pauline Kael book, actually. It's a it's a collection of Pauline Kael reviews because she kind of said that those four words sort of encompass movies as a whole. Like, every movie is about these two. These things. And, and she actually took the title from an Italian James Bond poster.
2: Yeah, I was about that's to say, that's, that's where I heard. I actually heard that Val Kilmer suggested it to Shane Black, that there was a song originally written for Thunderball, the James Bond movie, and it was called Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, And it was recorded by Shirley Bassey and then Dionne Warwick. And Shirley John Bassey Berry. did the Thunderball. Well, so the story was, is that... The composer, John Barry, had chosen the title when he read a magazine article about that's what people in Italy called Bond movies. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, and then as it's they were putting out the song, Bond movie. the producers got <laughs> cold feet on calling it that or having that song. So they just redid like they, they did the song Thunderball by Tom Jones. Which I think is the the song they went with, and they used "Kiss Kiss Bang Bang" in Thunderball, but only an instrumental version. But yeah, anyway, that was uh, that they be- became like a slang description of
1: James Bond spy movies. Some That's- of the music is very is very reminiscent.
2: Well,
3: the mu- the music on this is done by uh, John Ottman, but uh, who who did "The Longest Good Night" as well, I believe. So, wanting to achieve the look of a uh, a modern version, like a neo noir, modern film noir, Shane Black actually showed films like. Harper with Paul Newman or Point Blake with Lee Marvin, kind of those 60s versions of of film noirs to his cinematographer, Michael Barrett, and his production designer, Aaron Osborne. So he kind of wanted he wanted that film noir look, but he wanted that modern film noir look. And Osborne actually drew also heavy inspiration from the detective book covers by illustrator Robert McGinnis, who they actually brought in to draw the covers for those Johnny gossamer books that appear nice. in the film. Very
1: cool.
2: Did you also notice, notice that uh Pizzazzu was at the party at the beginning? Pizzazzu
3: from The Exorcist. Yes, the demon. <laughs> yes. Oh, <No, laughs> really?
0: Well, Where in the was the Middle he? of the film,
3: and they don't even talk about like it, a statue. Like there's a statue. The actual oh, you're Pizazu. right.
0: Yeah, you're right. I and remember there's a statue that. Statue of Pizzazzu. Yes.
3: Do you uh, think that Shane Black just owns a statue of Pizzazu and that's it's, in his mansion? I, I bet, it is uh, possible. Yeah. Because if I had house. Shane Black money, I would own one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's <laughs> Where like is a, it? a red light all around it. It's like like I it's, actually it's like remember when he first that walks into the party. Um, there's a statue of Pizazu, huh. which is super just super weird, I thought. But <laughs>
3: super very strange. Very uh, strange.
2: <laughs> but yeah, that's a cool party. Also, Richard Greco. Do you know who I'm talking about? Richard Greco. Yeah. Yeah, uh, 21 he, Jump Street. Yeah, he's in. He's at the party too, and apparently had more of a role, but he got cut out. They ended up cutting a lot of it, but he's still there. Like you can still see him. I just saw that in the the commentary thing. Black uh, talks about him. He's like, yeah, he's still there in like several frames or something. I just thought of, that that was interesting because when I used to work at a video rental store, there was an older black gentleman with like a Jerry Curl who used to come in every weekend and ask if we had new Richard Greco movies.
3: Wow. Did he think there were, there were a lot of them being produced?
2: Turning there there were more than you'd think, but <laughs> it was, um, he loved Richard Greco and I'm like, who is Richard Greco? And he's like, Oh, you don't know Richard Greco. He's like the greatest action star. Like you gotta wow. check this out. Like That is yeah, a he was, that is a hot take. He was from- really into Richard Greco. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. Anyway. Wow.
3: So Kiss Kiss Bang Bang opened in very limited release on October twenty first, two thousand five. The studio didn't seem to have a whole lot of faith in the film, and it, despite the fact that it re- received really good, great reviews from critics, I mean the the film was very well liked by critics. But and as a result of the the positive reviews, it the the distribution company did increase the number of theaters it was in every weekend, and it ended up staying in theaters until early January. So it was out for a while. I saw
1: it in theaters. I, believe, I did as well with yeah. uh, with Justin Bishop.
3: Oh, how about that? I don't know how you remember that. That was 15 years ago. I know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> because it was because it was one of two times that we saw a movie together, and as soon as we left the theater, we both contemplated going right back in to see it.
3: What was the other one?
1: The other one
0: was Across the Universe.
3: Really? Yeah. Man, I don't like that movie. No. You don't like that movie? <laughs> no, it does not hold up.
0: No, oh. my my New York City apartment is featured in Across the Universe. <laughs> is really? it really? Yeah,
3: that's awesome. <laughs> like the inside or the outside?
0: The exterior. The interior was shot in the next door uh, brownstone.
3: Interesting. Nice.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool.
3: So there were a lot of critics who liked this movie, but I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that there are some online. What we'll call armchair critics who uh, who might have felt differently
2: about this, Gary. Can you confirm that? That is true, Justin. Uh, as we find out every week, there are always some folks that uh, really get bent out of shape about a film. And it really just sounds like somebody needs a nap. <laughs>
3: So DJ, this is the section of the, the show where Gary reads a bunch of um, one-star reviews review. from from folks on the internet who might not like these movies that we talking wow. about. Let's hear it. Because there's
0: always the somebody. There's always somebody. There, there's always somebody. No Let's matter hear it.
3: how they could, this movie could have a 100 on Rotten Tomatoes, and there's some guy out there sitting in his mom's basement who was bitching about it.
2: This is from Phil. He says the title should have read "Missed Missed Ying Yang." Well, that doesn't even make sense. What does that even mean? <laughs> I almost threw up when I saw this movie. This movie was awful. I should have known better when I read the title. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I should have known this movie would be a real stinker. I wish I could get my money back. I want better for my money. Enough already. I'm throwing this piece of movie doo-doo in the garbage pail. That he won't. does not give it one single reason
3: why he doesn't like the movie. Yep, no <laughs> no not. Denied. But he does. I mean, a movie almost making you throw up seems like an overreaction. It does. Yeah. It does. Unless it you're watching like cooking. Unless you're watching <laughs> unless you're watching martyrs or or like a Serbian film or something. Where a
0: divine divine eats the dog shit. Yeah. Well, I mean or the talking asshole, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey. Singing. Singing asshole, yeah. Bird is the word. Yeah, bird, bird, bird.
2: Gary, you got some more? Sure. Unfortunately, nobody went really into deep discussion on, like, there, there wasn't, like, in a good, like, two-paragraph rant or anything, so I've got a few here. That's uh, all right. This one's from Fred. For the love of God, don't do it. What can I say? But everything you know is wrong. How many paid shills are on this board raving about this box office flop? The reason Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Flop is because this movie stinks with a capital S. This is a movie that tries to be too snarky for its own good. Do yourself a big favor and don't buy it. Do something better with your time, like go help blind kids. Anything is better than sitting through this unfunny film noir wannabe piece of dreck. Not
3: a I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't want to go volunteer to help blind kids, but I'm not sure how
2: the two things are mutually exclusive. <laughs> I don't buy this one. The trailer is way better than the film. Too long, too predictable, too crude to be clever. Watch any other holiday-themed movie and skip this one. I just don't know that that person watched it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Ginkgo Girl wrote awful, and she wrote in all caps, This movie is terrible. It is not funny. It is not clever. It is vulgar, meaning that it lacks sophistication and good taste. We watched a few minutes, stopped it, and contacted customer support for a refund. Don't waste your time. I would have given it zero stars if that was even an option.
0: I literally didn't watch it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then White Dove says, uh, "Full of crappy sex words and profanity." Big turn. Crappy sex. Crappy
3: sex. Crappy sex
0: words. (laughs) Wow. crappy sex or, Okay. crappy
3: sex words or crappy, crappy. sex comma words it yeah, was
0: crappy sex words <laughs>
1: crappy, sex what's word. a crappy that, sex word what
3: does that, that, that even a, mean
1: <laughs> that needs to go on the poster crappy, that definitely should have been full of crappy sex yeah, words crappy sex
2: I don't know I wish I knew exactly I guess I assume the F-bomb is probably the is fuck is is that the word that I mean a that's, a, word? that's a word
3: incoming transmission
1: folks, it's your old friend, Mr. Todd A. Davis from the Cinema Shock Podcast, here to ask, are you tired of seeing a random episode of Star Trek and thinking, hmm, I wonder where this falls into the overall prime timeline? I know I am. That's why I'm bringing you a new podcast covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order. It's called Computer Resume Podcast. Each week, join me and a rotating panel of my family and friends as we boldly talk Trek like no one has before there's a joke to be made we'll make it and if there's a poignant discussion to be had well we'll try our best we'll also have interviews contests take listener questions and other things currently deemed classified by section 31 those shifty (coughs) motherfuckers so join us every week starting in january of 2021 for the computer resume podcast free wherever you get your podcasts and be the first to hit us up online now at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or email us directly at ComputerResumePodcast at gmail.com. The Computer Resume Podcast, part of the Slice of Fry Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you soon.
3: Anyway, the film only earned about $4.2 million in the U.S., about $11.5 million internationally for a total gross of just over $15.7 billion, So it barely earned back its budget. And Robert Downey Jr. was was disappointed in the film's box office take. He he thought this was going to be like kind of a comeback because he can, he call he still calls the film one of the best he's ever worked on.
2: I mean, to this day, the dude says it's like his favorite movie of his own. Um, yeah. uh he called it his calling card to playing Tony Stark slash Iron Man. The one of the quotes I found from him said, it's hard for me to watch Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang and not get nostalgic about it. It's not perfect, but in some ways, I think it's the best thing I've ever done. I don't know why. But I do know why, RDJ. It's because, uh, well, my best guess is because that uh, it led to Iron Man because Jon Favreau saw it. And then on Iron Man, he made like $500,000 salary. And then that was basically the last time he'd ever worked for less than $10 million on a film. Wow. So, (laughs) That's my guess.
3: (laughs) So, and of course that, you know, while the film itself, you know, may not have set the world on fire the way that Downey was, was hoping for it still marked his true career resurrection. uh, Because, like Gary said, one of the big one of the people who was a big fan of this movie and a big fan of Downey's work on it was John Favreau. So when it was time to cast Tony Stark, he gave him a call. Uh, so all of this talk that we've had uh, on these past you know, four episodes now about Shane Black's paychecks, it's more than just kind of talk about the business of Hollywood. It's it's kind of an imperative part of Shane Black's story because those big paychecks, especially on Last Boy Scout and Long Kiss Goodnight—they kind of cast a big shadow over the films themselves. Many of which, at the time of their release, were kind of derided by critics as being the kind of films that were sort of signaling the downfall of Hollywood, like this these no substance, big budget action blockbusters. So why, like, why was this dude who's making these movies bringing home four million dollars for a screenplay when more serious writers were you know barely making a living? But then after the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came out, despite the fact that it didn't make a lot of money, a lot of critics started reevaluating Black's work and seeing it for like how good it really was. Because during the 80s and 90s, I, I think that like there were very few, if any, other screenwriters who had a distinct voice, like he was screenwriters who weren't also directing their own movies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think this is a big, I think this is a big the overarch of this story is, you know, staying true to yourself. Cause I mean, he, he, we discussed it earlier in this episode that it wasn't fun for him anymore. Right. It wasn't until he started penning a story that was something he was interested in something he would want to read something, a movie he would want to watch that uh, people got on board and, you know, between, you know, actors and um, you know, in front of and behind the camera.
3: Well, well, plus, like, uh, on the previous movies or the previous screenplays of his that were produced, you know, he had this great dialogue that he was writing, but a lot of his, a lot of that, like, Shane Black voice would get, it it wouldn't necessarily come through because of some of the directors that were adapting it, like like a Rennie Harlan or or even a Tony Scott, both, you know, well, Tony Scott in particular, I think, has made some really good movies, uh, but... His movies are very flashy. You know, so a lot of times like the the stuff that Black is writing which is very character driven gets lost in that. And also sometimes it's because of the actors who were cast. Like not not in the case of necessarily Lethal Weapon cuz I think, you know, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are both outstanding. But like Bruce Willis, he does that sort of mumbly like partially hungover thing that Bruce Willis does.
2: Yeah. I think going he, back through these things, is it, is he not like the most out of place in a Shane Black script? Like, yeah. I mean, I feel like he is because he's, I don't know. I mean, some of, some of the, and I mean, love that the, movie. I loved it, but right. I and,
3: and some of the dialogue comes across well, but some of it gets lost in like the, the not giving a shit Bruce Willis. his performance, if that makes sense. And if, I mean, we didn't even, we haven't talked about the last uh, action hero, but Shane Black's dialogue coming out of Arnold Schwarzenegger's mouth is not quite the same (laughs) as when you put it in front of Robert Downey Jr.
1: Right.
3: Because, like, with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think this was, like, this is the first time we've seen a Shane Black screenplay make it to the big screen exactly like Shane Black wanted it to be.
2: Yeah, You remember when you read that part about, uh, like, from The Last Boy Scout back to that one again, where, like, it's, like, literally in the script, it's saying like describing the scene of this house. And like, this would be a great place to have sex in. Like, yeah, that's what that it was lethal weapon. Yeah. But yeah, we're a lethal weapon, but it's like, like this movie feels like all of those things he would have like just tacked on in a script that everybody else would have brushed over actually also ended up in the movie. sort of. Well,
3: yeah. Cause this, this is a pretty meta movie, movie you know, the, with, yeah. with the whole narration, the whole uh like, Robert Downey Jr. being aware that he's kind of a shitty narrator and, the fr- the and going slowing yeah, down. the and then going, oh, wait, let's back up. But it, it yeah. plays with the idea of it being a movie. It's very clever in that way.
0: It really is. I love it.
3: Very clever in that way. And it, because it's doing that, and, and because this was a place where, you know, at this point in his career, you know, Black's been in Hollywood for a couple of decades and like this is his home, this is what the world that he lives in. And I kind of love that he's he's mashing up the tropes of those those detective novels that he loves so much with the idea of a movie about Hollywood, because it is about Hollywood. It's about two people, Harmony and, and Harry, coming to Hollywood to be somebody else. That's what people in that's the Hollywood dream, right? Uh, for Harmony, it's to be an actress. For Harry, it's to you know, he's, he goes to Hollywood pretending to be an actor who's pretending to be a PI. You know, it's all, it's all about the artificiality of that town.
1: Yeah. I love love the, the alliteration of the names, you know, the Harmony and Harry, and then you got the rhyming of Harry and Perry. Yeah. It's just so great. It is great. A little thing, but I, I kept thinking about that. I was like, that's so fun.
2: Well, they really nailed down to like between Harry and Perry, the, uh, dialogue bits, like the same stuff you love from like Danny Glover and, uh, Mel Gibson and, uh, Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. And, you know, all of that, um, Gina Davis and Sam Jackson, like this one really just even flows even faster. Like just yeah. like these two, just like bouncing off each other. It's, it's fantastic. Well, I this think that's one, because of the actors. I mean, I yeah.
3: think that's because it's Robert Downey Jr. And, Val Kilmer, who are just so good at this. Right.
0: Which uh, feels so much like Nice Guys to me. Yeah, which the I nice watched last guys. night. I oh re-watched Nice Guys last
3: night. And oh I think that that's... I mean, I this is my favorite Shane Black movie. Yeah. Kiss yeah. Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang. But Nice Guys just feels like
0: this everything a, Shane
3: Black ever wanted to do in a yeah.
0: movie. I movie. Honestly, I did not know until just the other day that Kiss Kiss was his first director, his First time in the director's chair. Yeah. It's very assured for a first-time director. Yeah, I had always assumed he had done uh, other... I actually had kind of thought he did Last Boy Scout until I revisited that a couple years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, that's... Yeah, that's not him.
2: Yeah. Uh, DJ, you said, didn't uh, your your girl... Part of the reason I uh shot the message out to you is because we were talking the other day and like literally you just had watched this movie anyway we're talking about like yeah. uh your girl had just seen it for the first time yeah. right yeah
0: yeah and she uh, loved it she she was like oh my god this is this is like the best i've seen robert downey jr since iron man for her yeah. you know she's not seen a lot but yeah it's a lot of fun to bring this to her uh attention
3: I mean, with with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, he like Shane Black finally had actors who, I mean, like he he said it, it was like he typed it into Downey's mouth. Like this is the first time that he had actors who spoke the dialogue as it should be spoken. I feel like uh, even even you know though I I like all of the movies that we've talked about so far, and I think they all have their merits. Like the dialogue in this one in particular, just the delivery of it is absolutely perfect. This is like pure unfiltered shane black this is not shane black's script going through a prism of another director's vision you know if that makes any sense
2: yeah that was part of the deal i mean like he, he's working with joel silver so like that's the only person he's got to deal with and um i, I mean if and anything because it's only
3: a 15 million dollar budget he doesn't have any like studio oversight hardly you know because 15 million dollars is jump change to warner brothers
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the crazy part about Black story, I mean maybe this is everybody's story really, but like when you look at something like this, the Joel Silver getting the option on Lethal weapon originally, and then like him choosing Joel Silver in the last Boy Scout when he could have made more going with another studio, but he chose Joel Silver because he thought he got him. And Joel Silver's kind of his dude. Then when he bounces back here with a movie, uh Joel Silver's the guy that bets on him again. He's the only guy who bets on him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's just kind of works out that way. It, it almost, you know, with the story of Shane black, I mean this, he actually ends up getting bummed out again after this movie and, right. uh and, and reconsidering things or just not knowing what to do because of the, the fact that it doesn't have as much success as he would have liked. It almost makes you wish you could go into the iron man stuff a little bit because it's that, That like it leads to Robert Downey Jr. getting the job on Iron Man right around this time that by the time Iron Man 3 rolls around, it's Robert Downey Jr. who reaches out to Shane Black again and says, you know, we need a director and a writer. And I think it should be you and brings him back into Iron Man 3, which is pulls shane black out of it again basically like i mean shane black after this just to be clear like he he does not clear like he go he goes into a deeper depression than ever before now he's black out drunk now he's like fucking up i mean there's like a lawsuit at one point where like he got accused by an ex of shooting a gun at her like hitting the wall or something and like it's crazy. Yeah, while well, he was den-
3: on cocaine and yeah he
2: denies it totally you know and like counter her and stuff like that for what it's worth and uh all of that stuff, but I'm just saying, like, he wasn't you know having a fun time, like, right after this, he ended up right. having to get himself help, not unlike Robert Downey Jr., who then comes in and bails him out in a sense, like getting him the yeah. job.
3: I think this is Robert Downey Jr. at his best. I mean, this is and I and I would say this is Val Kilmer at his second best. I okay, I, it's hard for me to uh, no. <laughs> <Willow>. <laughs> i'm not a fan of willow it is hard to top doc holiday but this comes pretty damn close sure. yeah, well i think comes-
1: i think you know we talked a little bit about uh the influence of stand-up comedy on shane black and his writing and i think um robert downey jr having a background at snl definitely helped not only If you want to
3: the, call that a background SNL, when Rolling Stone when Rolling Stone ranked every cast member ever of SNL, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. was at very bottom of the
2: list.
3: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I didn't I'll even know I'll
1: say exposure to great exposure. <laughs> comedic <laughs> writing and performing. At SNL.
3: Well, I I wouldn't even know that because. That was that was at a time as as a to make a point, Justin. As a God part-time SNL
1: historian,
3: the the <laughs> the, uh, the year that Robert Downey Jr. was on SNL, that show did so poorly that Lorne Michaels fired the entire staff. Every oh, no. performer, and then the next year, completely had all new people. Wow! wow. Okay. All
1: right, okay, so, I stand corrected. So I don't Never know, do you know if
3: great writing and and performance
1: was
2: okay.
3: in his what, what year, was Gary? This? Let's
1: edit this entire part out. I'm an, I'm a moron. <laughs>
2: no, I, I think we should
3: leave I see it. Where in. you're Just going with that? I'll, I like,
1: <laughs> yeah, this is my penance for missing last week. I
3: like where your head's going with that, but I and Downey absolutely has incredible comedic time timing. Yeah. I mean, there is no doubt about that. There's a reason he got hired for SNL. It's because he has incredible comedic timing. He really does. Uh, and even though he hasn't always been typically known as a comedic actor, but I think the way that he reads the dialogue here, Black's dialogue, did pave the way for the kind of quippiness of his Tony Stark. Because Tony Stark was not a, a quippy guy in the uh, in the comics necessarily. At least yeah. wasn't pre. Dally. Right. right. Uh, But I I think that the way that he performs here, you know, because that inspired Jon Favreau to cast him, he played Tony Stark in very much the same way, which I think in turn led to the quippy tone of the entire MCU. Because the first Iron Man really set the tone for the MCU. And the MCU has, I mean, those movies are very funny and mm-hmm. that started with Tony Stark and that performance as Tony Stark is basically, he's basically playing Harry.
2: Now listen, we don't but have to go down this money. whole path, but I will say <laughs> that I think the Ultimates was out right before Iron Man. Right. And the Ultimates was out
1: right before Iron Man, because the I Iron feel Man. like
2: Brian Michael Bendis is responsible for a lot of the quippiness <laughs> of the MCU. A lot of those movies are clearly sure. taking things from the Ultimate Universe. That, Brian but it's also Dennis very
3: created. possible that Favreau saw the overlap in in what in yeah. what Robert Downey was doing here. Yeah, I, I I'm just so. saying, like 100
2: fact- in the Ultimates, Nick Fury is Samuel L. Jackson. They even say it in the story. Like, oh, I know. They yeah, talk yeah. about who would be who would play you in a movie, and they say like he's like Samuel Jackson would play me,
1: and like it's. Gary uh, loves Stroke
3: and my, Bendis. He loves it. Well, I, just, I think
1: just saying <laughs> he is right about Bendis, but I think you're when, not wrong, yeah. Matt Fraction when Matt Fraction took over writing uh the the relaunch of the regular Invincible Iron Man series, uh Matt Fraction's writing lends very well to that sort of quippy uh this is not an Iron Man podcast. podcast. I, I know, told you I we know, didn't I have know. to <laughs> go down this rabbit hole. I knew I to say it, but I
2: just couldn't listen You said walk. it
3: and it, you opened up a Pandora's box into I Todd's you let you brain. walk over my boy. <laughs> <laughs> Even at a movie podcast. <laughs> but the plot of this movie is, as we've discussed in all these episodes, incredibly complex. Yeah, as Shane Black films tend to be. That's why I
2: called um, bullshit on that one review. It was like predictable. I was like, "Fuck yeah. you!" It's predictable. Fuck even
3: predictable. Even when they explain the plot, it's hard to follow.
2: Yeah, I'm even guess. as they're exactly. figuring it out, you're like, "I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure how we got here." But I'm, <laughs> well, I'm still Harry with comes
1: it. in with that dialogue of like, "So, viewer, have you figured it out?" And I feel bad because I'm going, "No, I don't. I haven't."
2: One hundred percent not, but, Robert Downey Jr. I have not figured it out. <laughs> but I think that's fitting because. This This movie, you know, more than even
3: previous work of of Shane Black's, is modeled after those detective novels he grew up on, which often had multiple plots Mm -hmm. that would kind of weave together. But I do think that because there's not a director or studio that's insisting on turning Shane Black's script into a Hollywood action vehicle, that the plot doesn't get lost in the spectacle. And compared to, like, Last Boy Scout lethal weapon like all of those i think even though this one is very complex and often you know you can kind of get lost in it or you can kind of get confused by what's going on i still think it's remarkably easy to follow compared to those previous ones
2: yeah Uh, the thing with this one is for me is like i can totally see why uh this leads down a dark path for shane black because I, i have a confession to make i gotta fix this but i have not seen the nice guys and uh, oh my god, I oh, wow. and I need Gary. to
1: watch so, this. It's rare that it's, I've seen something and one of you guys has. I don't know why, I just never saw it. And I just, yeah, watch it
3: tonight, up. you're gonna love it. It's so yeah, watch good. it
2: tonight. Literally, <laughs> uh, I gotta watch it, but that said, so I can't speak for how this plays against what I'm about to say, but it feels like kiss, kiss, bang, bang is you know, those times we've talked about, even on the old show, that when we talk about. I don't know, uh, Eraser Head in David Lynch, or a uh, hundred different movies that we're, where there's like a this is this person's heart on their sleeve, like they're throwing everything about them into a movie. It yeah. feels like Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang is that for Shane Black.
3: Absolutely. I, I this is the most. This un- is everything he's Shane ever Black. cared yeah. about,
2: everything he's yep. ever loved, everything yep. he's experienced. It's like all in this one movie. Yeah. Is what it feels yeah. like. So the fact that it didn't do well, you know, I can see it. Totally well, and it Also, like
3: we, we we kind of alluded to this in previous episodes, especially in The Last Boy Scout. But there are elements of previous Shane Black movies that appear here where he's able to direct it and do it the way he wanted to do it. Like in right. like on The Last Boy Scout, the finale of that film takes place on a L.A. freeway which is yep, what happened true. and they, and they I didn't even changed, think about that we they talked changed about that, that entire they encha- they changed the entire like last act but that's what happens here michelle monaghan gets that hero moment in this one that was denied bruce willis's wife's character in the last boy scout because they cut it out they cut that plot out of the movie right. uh so he's he's doing a lot of stuff that he had written in previous scripts here uh even if once you watch the nice guys gary as I watched yes. it last night, I was even struck by the fact that there is the same uh, uh, teenage daughter stowaway bit.
0: Yes, that's what I was going in say. the last
3: yep. Boy Scout that happens again in the Nice Guys, but is yep. You know, she she gets a lot more years.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. the my Kid was the one better. thing
2: I was missing from this one because I was like, he still has the PI. Yeah. That's like a yep. or you know the 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 weird odd pairing like the detective or PI guy that gets paired with somebody who's a little more aloof and weird about the way they handle things. And uh, and then there's, like, even the, the distract, the distraction, the WWE distraction finish where, like, somebody goes for, like, they've got a gun to you, but you do something stupid that, like, or it's not even stupid in this one, but they definitely do it where, like, Val Kilmer's telling the story about why you stand five feet away from the person with the gun. On yeah, you.
3: yeah, that's great. You know, yes. he, he does
2: something like that in every movie where mm-hmm. it's like there's a yep. guy with a gun on the hero, and the hero does something to distract them and turn it around on him.
3: Yeah, like all Shane Black movies, though, I think that, that this film is really more about the people than the plot itself. You know, this is about like most Shane Black movies, like we've talked about in the last three episodes. And this is, what I, this is what I think is fun about exploring like a director's or or a writer's career because you start to see these things pop up over and over, especially someone who writes uh, as personal as as Shane Black does. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, obviously these movies, these plots are not autobiographical or he would have lived a fucking crazy life. Right.
2: But uh, <laughs> the they say on the ca- stuff commentary that they're loves, talking that about in uh, the scene where Robbie Downey Jr. is getting beat up, they're like, um, is this something you uh, are writing about because as a writer in Hollywood or something, like you got beat up at one of your parties by somebody. (laughs) And he was like, uh, not, not exactly the same way. Was that a Denny's? (laughs) Something like that. Like,
3: like most Shane Black scripts, this is about broken people finding each other. Uh, In this case, it's Harmony and Harry. And like most Shane Black movies, this is a movie about a a fuck up who finds it in himself to not fuck up for just once in his life. Like in in the long kiss good night, you know, Sam Jackson says like, just do this one thing. Right. And that's what Harry's trying to do in this thing. Like Harry is a fuck up. Harry's even gives
2: like a similar speech there outside the, the apartment buildings. Yeah.
3: And he like, I mean, he screws up his, He screws up his narration when he's narrating the movie and has to go back, has to backtrack. He screws up uh, playing Russian roulette and, you know, murders a guy because of it. Uh, He screws up his first date with Harmony because he gets so drunk that he ends up sleeping with her homely friend instead. You know, he's a fuck up, but he's also like a good dude at heart. You know, he, he might have made some wrong decisions but like he's not a bad dude I mean even when he's caught stealing at the beginning of the movie his intentions are good he's trying to find a toy for his niece you know when he's at the party at the beginning of the film he calls the dude out for <laughs> for messing with Harmony when she's passed out like his intentions are good he gets the shit beat out of him uh, for his troubles but you can see that like his his intentions are good you know even when like the uh when when they have to Drop the body. I think he says something like, "I'm sorry, sweetheart. You deserved better."
0: Yeah, he does. You know, oh, like yeah. he's
3: not—he's—he's he's not a bad dude at all. He gets really torn up when he sees uh, the pink-haired girl die in front of him to a point where he's in a daze and ends up killing the the, the other dude. Which, by the way, Shannon Sossaman should not only appear in a movie for thirty seconds. Honestly, like I, <laughs> <laughs> Shannon Sossaman, I had I had. Such a crush on her in the early 2000s. Rules of Attraction. Oh man, she's great. Absolutely, she's really. It's so weird to see her in such Nights' Tale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So weird to see her yeah. in such a small role.
2: This movie's great.
3: In the end, I mean, awesome. once again, like like uh, another recurring Shane Black theme. It's a movie about redemption. It's a movie about Harry, who's always been a fuck up. You know, he he's a thief. I mean, that's his job. He's never like really done anything right, but he saves the day. I mean, Gay Perry helps, but but, but Gay Perry jumps in front of a bullet for him. But Harry saves the day. You know, Harry saves Harmony because Perry was able to save him. So it's once again about someone finding that redemption and finding those people that they connect with who aren't necessarily like blood relation, which is what all of Shane Black's movies are about.
2: Yeah i I was bummed when uh, I like I. It's been a while since I've seen this movie, so I was I was kind of disappointed when. Uh... I couldn't remember what happened to Gabe Perry at the end. And so it got me again. I was like, fuck
3: when he gets me. shot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but then, know.
3: then, you know, Shane Black does that meta thing where he's common, you know, his, his commentary on Hollywood where he has the happy ending and then brings in <laughs> everyone who's died in the movie. Plus Abraham Lincoln. And it's it's, yeah. It's great. It's hilarious. I love it.
2: And I say, though, too, like, I mean, as far as Gay Perry goes, I mean, I know this was already, what, 2005, did we say? Is that right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, so hopefully society as a whole was far enough along uh, that this shouldn't be a big deal to stand out with. But one of my favorite things, even around this time, probably was, is that when you're portraying a gay character, there are things gay does that... uh you know, you you can kind of hear it in the way he talks, or something. You know, like the the stereotypical gay things. But Val Kilmer plays it in a way that, like, Gay Perry's a badass. And gay yeah. Perry is like very cool and calm when Harry is not. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like some other guys. Like, I can't picture what Harrison Ford would have done. <laughs> but well, like the, the gay, gay Perry is really the first time that a black character
3: has uh, a shame black character has. Come on, has made it to the big screen, acting and sounding like one of those hard-boiled detectives. Like he's yeah. a badass. Like Gay perry's a badass. Yeah. Um. The fact that he's gay is just—it's just, it's just part a, of a part game. of. Yeah. It's, it's just, just like a side note. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of jokes at his expense, which I, I can understand. I guess if people see that as a negative, but I don't think they ever treat it as derogatory. You yeah, know, I, I don't I, think so
2: either. I thought I think about even that. when
3: Robert Downey Jr when his character makes, like, faces or, you know, whatever, or, like, spits when, when he, or says, ooh, when he, <laughs> he talks about being gay, uh, I think his character is seen as, in, in the scope of the film, seen as being wrong. Like you know, I, I feel like they're, that scene is being a negative. So it, I don't. It think It throws back a, to that that drogatory. quote we had like
2: last week, where Shane's talking about even if I drop the f bombs in these scripts, like that doesn't mean I'm going around dropping. These characters would be this way exactly, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah. this is how they would react. And Gabe Perry also us,
3: gets some of the best dialogue in the movie.
2: Absolutely. Oh man, no, I, I mean one of it.
3: my my favorite, probably my favorite quote of this movie. It's, it's it's very hard to pick, but look up idiot in the dictionary. Yes. You know what
2: you'll find. Picture me? No. The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are. Like, yep. <laughs> I love that. I, um, I immediately incredible. saw that this time and I was like, oh, I'm taking that. <laughs> 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 that's, it's that's so great. good. It's uh, so good. Two other real quick, if I can, Val Kilmer stories. One is that, speaking of Gay Perry, he says in that scene, he points out where uh, Michelle Monaghan runs up to him after she saves him, basically, or whatever, you know, and they go to hug I think that's the one I can't remember where it was now, but he points out where you could see him go in for a kiss. Cause he's like, he's like, uh oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not the the hero guy of the game. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, and, uh, uh, but he also like in the middle of nothing, I gave a little bit of this early on, but Val Kilmer also is like, you know, I have a mole on my jaw. And, uh, and I think everybody's like, yes, yeah, yes, Val. And he just <laughs> like, well, uh, I, he, it's like right before this he tells this story he was like i was on the movie alexander and uh i had a huge beard and i had to shave it off and i cut it open and i had a huge scab on the mole and joel silver every time i see him reminds me how much money he had to spend to uh digitally remove the scab on my face <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he's just like sitting there and he's like but seriously, try to find it. I'll pay you $500 if you can point it out. <laughs> um, that's hilarious.
3: So, but, oh, I mean, I think this is, to me, this is my favorite, favorite Shane Black movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love The I love the Nice Guys, uh, but this one takes the cake just a little bit. And a lot of it's because of the dialogue. And maybe it's because I've seen this one more, because I've seen The Nice Guys three or four times. I've probably seen this one 10 times in the, in the last 15 years since it was released. <laughs> Uh, I loved this movie immediately when I saw it. And I think that people talk about someone like Quentin Tarantino as being like this master writer of dialogue. But I think Shane Black's up there, man. I think his stuff yeah. is so clever and and such a like his his plotting and his character stuff is so good. But then the, the words that he puts in the, into their mouths, I think, is just what puts it over the top, you know. Just to be
2: honest with you, like I I did not ever think of Shane Black in that way. But what's funny is, I don't think we've really hit on that. But like Tarantino is the person I've thought about this whole month when we've been talking about these Shane Black things just like, oh, Shane Black was really Tarantino before Tarantino. Like, but
3: the thing is, we, with other directors doing his stuff, it didn't come through as much. Just like in, in True Romance, also directed by Tony Scott, which is a movie I love. But Tarantino's voice does not come through as, as much through right. the prism of Tony Scott as it does when he directs his own dialogue. Right. It's, it's the same thing here. You don't. You almost don't appreciate how good it is until he's able to just really let it shine. You know? Do you guys have any favorite quotes or anything from this movie? What's, do you have any favorite bits of dialogue from... No,
0: uh, the idiot quote's just... The idiot quote's hard to
3: beat, but I, I do like... Um, what uh, Hey, Gay Perry, still gay? No, I'm mean, <laughs> eating pussy. I just like the name so much, I, get it. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. <laughs> uh, and, um, and the one where he says... Um, and I'm I, I don't have the quote in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing, I think. But he says... Um, I don't think you know where to put your food food at if you didn't flap your mouth so much. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all of God. which are Gay Perry quotes. Gay Perry has all my favorite quotes <laughs> in this so movie. So
0: many good ones. Uh, he's I, I, thought
1: was, I thought it was funny when he was uh, describing describing the client that hired him. She opens the door, nothing on but the radio. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, <No. No>, idiot! <laughs> <laughs> It's so, like it's, the badly
2: uh, like the running joke with badly yeah, like bad, go bad, bad bad, badly. Bad. badly yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who the fuck th- taught you grammar
1: <laughs> I can to math. Do the ma- him trying to do the math after he kills the guy <laughs> <laughs> 80%, 80%, 80%, 80%. Percent, 80% who taught you math <laughs> <laughs> there's even yeah, I mean, Perry I, even has to stuff we could spend a whole about,
3: episode just quoting this movie I was guess. about to
2: say Perry even has the stuff about like uh, uh, where he's like how about you Harry did your father love you and he says like uh, sometimes what i used to dress up like a bottle how about yours and he's like well you used to beat me in morse code <laughs> to so maybe, it's possible maybe. he never said the words
1: <laughs> oh god uh, oh, so man. um the last uh thing i want i that i'd like to mention about this movie are the opening and closing credit sequence the i love very small bass-esque yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that because it, it reminded me of uh, Catch Me If You Can, which, yeah, is, which is one also of the very fallbacks. Chris, quote unquote, incidental Christmas movies that I watch every year. Um, yeah. And then, uh, what did everybody think of the song Broken, at, written and performed by Robert Downey Jr. in the closing credit sequence?
3: That's him. That's him. I, an that al- I oh, knew crap. that he had put an album out around this time, but I did not know that was him. Yeah, That's I saw him. the
2: same thing. I didn't realize that he actually had a song on. Wow. The We're going to have to play that in the end credits for oh, this yeah? uh, this podcast. I think that sounds great. Wow. It's going to be tough for the YouTube. <laughs> they'll, they'll kill us. But uh, <laughs> I do love that they took a jab at Lord of the Rings at the end, too. Like the. Uh, yes. We're not going to end it 17 times. Don't worry. But here's the thing. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of really quality stuff in this script. Like it, it really, that's what I mean. Like, it feels like Shade like had all his best stuff and he was list- like, like maybe he had started off, you know, like maybe if you're, you're starting out and you're like, okay, I can't use all the good shit right off the bat. Like <laughs> yeah. I have to, I have to hold back. Like hold maybe back. I could get a few jabs in and then like, that'll work for this time. And then I got, I still got more in the, in the tank uh but yep. it's like shade black's like fuck this man like we i've done broke. this for too long I've, i'm just yep. throwing it in Put, throwing all i
1: think there. i think there's a thought of because i've been uh following a particular comedian Bert kreischer here recently um and he just always approached everything with like i might not get a chance to do this again so let's swing for the fences let's go for broke let's put as much in there you know let's let's go 100 um and i think there's it you know in thinking about shane black's approach to writing he again i just mentioned about him writing the things that interested him and staying true to himself i think that's a way to go you know when you get those opportunities to just to just go so which is why i was in Asheville last week at <laughs> your
0: mouth
2: um, the the other thing I will say too that I really appreciated as just a dude and we all try to be the best dudes but and even Robert Downey Jr. like uh, saving uh, saving her in the party where she's like passed out but also there are the times that he struggles like not staring at her tits yeah. or yeah. Like, getting a boner which is yeah, not very nightly a He's like laying in bed with her, you know, or she's just like, you come in here, but it's just going to be sleeping. He's like, all What's right, let's find out. <laughs> but then he's immediately like, nope, this is not working. <laughs> no, I'm not working. I'm like, all of it's real, like, yeah. For, yeah. like from yeah. that dude's side. So you're like, okay, this is, yeah. I don't know. I, I
3: mean, I, I fucking like fell in love with Michelle Monaghan when this movie came out. She's I mean, she's gorgeous for one thing, but she's just really outstanding in this movie. I think she's just she comes across so real; she does not seem like a like she's playing a part. Fantastic which is, performance, which yeah. is the best it thing you can good. say about any actor, honestly. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's it's now, weird, dude. Like she she in this movie, it, it amazed me watching it again this time. Like how great she is, and and she she's steady working. It's not like she's obscure; like you know who she is. She's in right. Mission Impossible for God's sake, like, so right? She's, yeah she's there. It's just like this, she, she should, it feels like she, watching this movie. You're like, she should be one of the best, like top known actresses. She like should be
3: bigger than she yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, or, absolutely. Um, but you know, I don't know, as long as it's working for her, but yeah, I agree. I think I've always thought she should be a, a, a bigger name than she is. Yeah. Yeah. So kiss, kiss, bang, bang, you know, this isn't exactly Shane Black's redemption story. It isn't exact. It's, almost his comeback story Mm. but not quite this is this more this is more like the match that lit the fire that would be his true comeback because gary alluded to this earlier but after the disappointing returns the box offers returns of kiss kiss bang bang black got back into partying hard got back into doing drugs and drinking the night away and in 2008 He hit rock bottom and he decided just like Robert Downey had a few years earlier that he needed to make some changes in his life. So he emptied his liquor cabinet, poured everything out. He flushed the baggies of Coke down the toilet and he got his shit together and he started writing again. He hasn't been in another relationship since that one that fucked him up after this, uh, after that breakup that Gary uh, talked about, where he was sued by his ex Uh, he, he just has said that, Hey, it's, the people who want to hang around me in Hollywood, I just are not someone that I want to spend my life with. I don't. He does. He's very untrusting. It seems like. But that that dark period in Black's life after the release of this movie is a big reason why it was another eight years before he had another directing credit. So a couple years after he, you know, he, he started getting his shit together. 2010, his phone rings. It was his old friend Robert Downey Jr. Uh, the guy who Black had essentially given a chance to when nobody else would help get his career back. I mean, it led to his true career resurgence. And Downey was—it's—I don't know if this was in Downey's mind, but it seemed like he was trying to repay the favor. Mm-hmm. You know, it seemed like he was trying to give this this guy who gave him a chance a chance when he was really down and and nobody else wanted to to, to hire him again because you know he finally directed a movie and it didn't make any damn money. Mm-hmm. And he said to Black, Black answers the phone, and he says, I want you to direct an Iron Man movie. And Downey, by this time, is a huge star. So he's a big deal. Uh, He he had already done the first Iron Man movie. Iron Man 2 was in the works. And he was the centerpiece of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The dude had a lot of pull. So he was able to talk to, like, Kevin Feige and and the guys at Marvel and get Shane Black the job directing Iron Man 3. And in 2013, Iron Man 3 came out. Co-written by and directed by Shane Black, and yes, of course, it's set at Christmas time.
2: There was a Hollywood Reporter article right before the Nice Guys came out. There was like a profile on Shane Black, and his. Mm-hmm. I read it. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. But uh, they talk about the uh, uh, that he, because of the bomb of this movie, like you know that it didn't succeed as well as they had hoped. Uh, he he had done like several other things he, he like wrote the nice guys but then it just kind of ended up in development hell well he, but, he actually
3: wrote the nice guys around the time that this movie was being shopped around and nobody wanted to buy it so him and his buddy just started working on the nice guys uh back in the early 2000s
2: yeah um but Downey, you know like in 2010 uh, calls him and he talks about it. It changed everything. But like Dow- Downey says, like and a quote from him was, he's like Shane was one of my lifelines when we were making the first Iron Man. He was like, I would call him and ask about the script, the dialogue, everything in the first Iron Man. And he was like, uh, I think he was just like sitting alone reading noir novels. <laughs> he was like, but huh, every piece weird. of advice was invaluable. Like he was like, I got ideas from shane black then and so they said that like by the time uh you know that iron man 3 rolled around they talked about what a risk it was like putting an unknown behind like a 200 million dollar marvel franchise but they trusted Downey enough at this point that he suggested shane black and they went with it and uh and iron man 3 goes on to make 1.2 billion worldwide and it said uh <laughs> the interview, like Shane Black talking, and he's like, he's like, purists don't like it. He's like, no, I got like, uh, literally, somebody sent me a meme yesterday Probably because of the Mandarin me. stuff. Yeah, he's like, I'm getting ass raped by the Mandarin in the thing I got sent. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: he's <just> like,
2: <laughs> but uh, but because that worked, then Joel Silver rolls back and he's like, what's the last shade Black thing I've got that I can find, and it's the nice guys. Yeah, and uh, they pull it up, and uh, Silver signs Gosling, and Gosling's on board. They want Russell Crowe, and they're not sure how to get him. Shane Black literally flies to Australia to get Russell Crowe <laughs> for the nice guys. Shows uh, up there, Russell Crowe has a quote. It says, Uh, he came in, I offered him a drink. Shane said, No, he didn't want one. I asked him why not, and he said, you know, you have one drink, the next thing you know, you're in handcuffs. And I thought, <laughs> Hmm, I like this guy. He's sharp. <laughs> and, uh, so then they got Russell Crowe and, uh, and this was all right before the film screened at con, the con film festival and, uh, the person at the Hollywood reporter article, I, I should follow up on this even more, but, uh, they were like, this will be a good coming home party because kiss kiss bang bang did great at con. Yeah. Um, but they were like out of
3: competition i believe
2: yeah yeah i think you're right and uh and they were like but just to ask if shane black was still shane black the reporter goes like him, i said was like are you going to con and he said he turned and uh looked at him and said the parties are awesome <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh that's great that's great i love i love shane black and of course he's gone on to do you know predators uh, predators the predator, the predators the one he did, right? And he was attached to a doc savage movie for a while, but I think he's dropped off. I think Adam Wingard's actually doing that now. So I don't know what Shane Black's doing next. But hopefully, whatever it is, it's set at Christmas time. Because Predators was not, and they really threw me off. And oh, uh,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> seemed like
2: it would be. But it's it's cool too. Like you can go back and look at predators now. And I, I think anything, Shane Black, and you can totally see it. I mean, the one thing I loved, like when everybody was shitting on predators, even.
3: The Predator.
2: The Predator, sorry. When everybody was shitting on The Predator, is I was like, especially now, like I want to go watch it again just because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember the part that I did like about The Predator because I didn't hate it as much as everybody. And the reason was, is because of those characters. And the problem that Shane Black has, uh, so like in The Predator, here is a perfect example. You fall in love with the folks, like the guys in... The thing which makes sense based on the first predator like because yeah. you got behind the team but i've seen shane black on multiple occasions talk about uh as we've gone through this month and i've seen interviews that he's been so much time on the protagonist of a film that he by the time he gets to a villain he's like it's it's sketch like he's like because i want the protagonist to just be Somebody you can get behind, believable, like a real person. And so you could see, like, maybe by the time it gets to all the shit with the predator, like (laughs) he's like, he's like, oh yeah, I was just trying to make these guys really awesome. (laughs) 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 Like it's it's like, okay, well, but but still, like, I don't know. I I'd love to talk to him about it someday, but it's probably like you could still be like, Yeah, but this movie was the predator. Like (laughs) that's the 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 bad guy was technically. (laughs) who the no movie reason about. people are going to the movie right right <laughs> yeah.
3: exactly well i guess that's it then for our shame black series and our christmas series Yay. we hope everyone has a lovely christmas here we hope that it involves less murder uh, than than most of these movies do <laughs>
1: Significantly, um, like hundred percent, like a
2: hundred percent less. I, well, you
3: know,
1: it's hard to it's it's hard to guarantee something like that, Justin. Yeah,
2: <laughs> unless you're like fucking up a crack sale or something like that. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. If you're, I mean, <laughs> I mean, rehabilitation is better, Gary. You don't
3: you, we're not we're not encouraging vigilanteism on our podcast. I don't think you're uh, not please, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> just, any of our not with that listeners.
1: attitude, <laughs>
3: not right? Uh, next week. We're gonna be moving along. we're gonna actually I'm sorry, next week we're taking a week off because it's Christmas yeah oh, we need that's a week how this plays out and we need a, we we were taking a week off for the holidays, so we're not gonna be here next week, but uh we'll be back at the first this is our last episode of twenty twenty right, and mm. we are we are excited to put this year in our rear yes. view.
2: <laughs> May all <acquaintance> be <laughs> forgot or something like that
3: <laughs> that those were the words. I'm going to make a prediction <laughs> right now. Words. We're
2: recording this early, but I'm going to make a prediction that this will not be the last you hear from us before 2021.
3: I mean, this is our last official episode.
2: Yeah. I feel this is like our last we'll,
3: official episode. It doesn't mean you won't hear from us. We're, we're out and about. Feelings. We're around. We're yeah. all over
2: the place. Fuck around and find out. You know what I'm saying?
3: But uh, This is our last official episode of 2020. We'll be back the first week of the new year, probably Jan- January 7th, I think, is the first Thursday of the year, which is when the day of the week that we drop our episodes usually. So we'll be back with a brand new series. We're going to spend seven episodes on our next series. We're going to be doing something that, I don't know, I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a really fun group of films, a really diverse group of films, a bunch of uh, various genres. We're doing a series called... Six Degrees of Kill Bill.
1: I've been waiting movie. for this one for a while. <laughs>
3: yeah, we, ta- we talked about Tarantino a little bit on this episode, but uh, Kill Bill is one of my favorite Tarantino movies, and, I, and, and it's kind of the Tarantino movie that is the most blatantly inspired by the films that he loves. So we're going to spend six episodes talking about s- not all the movies that inspired that, because then we'd be talking for a year, but we're going to spend... <laughs> six of the biggest influences in my opinion on the kill bill movies by Quentin Tarantino. So we're going to go everything from your spaghetti western to your revenge thriller to your your, your you know samurai movies and your your nice. uh, your kung fu movies. Yeah. So we're going to spend six weeks doing that and then at the end of the series we're actually going to talk about kill bill 1 and 2 as well. Awesome. So it's going to be really fun. We're starting you want to go ahead and get a head start on what our next film is going to be for that first week of january 1967 death rides a horse we're starting with a spaghetti western. So we're just going in chronological order on the movies that we've chosen death rides a horse is pretty easy to find as of this recording it's on amazon prime so but it's 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 a pretty easy one to find so you should be able to search for it or just hit up cinemashock.net and and you'll find links on our episode descriptions of where you can find all of the upcoming films that we're going to talk about.
1: Sweet. I'm looking forward to it.
3: It's going to be a fun series. It's going to be really fun. Some of these movies I've, I've um, not seen in many, many years. I've seen them all at one point or another, but most of them I have not, with the exception of Kill Bill itself, I have not seen in quite a few years, so I'm excited to dive into them.
2: So here's the part where I'm going to jump in and say, like, if you are a movie fan, if you like knowing everything there is to know about a movie, you want to get really detailed and obnoxiously detailed, especially with a through line like Shane Black and all of these Christmas movies. Tell your friends about this show. Uh, you're, You're hearing it. Are we not doing even better as Cinema Shock? Are you, Are you not entertained? Are you not? Yeah, I, I no, I'm totally, I, I feel strongly about this. So please share it. Give us a five-star review on iTunes if you can, because it helps us get in front of more people. We even just if like- you're not
3: listening on Apple Podcasts, because uh, I know there's a lot of alternative ways to listen to podcasts these days, Spotify and Google and Overcast and all the other apps but that uh that that apple podcast rating really does get it in front of
2: more people like sincerely uh so and and it's very easy to do
3: youtube Uh,
2: is also it was left in my hands and i promise i'm working on it right now all the episodes are getting uploaded to youtube but also extra content like a live show last week that you might have missed more live shows to come you guys uh go to youtube and search for cinema shock you'll find us and uh hit us up because, uh, or, or just on social media profiles, you'll see it. Uh, go find us and, uh, and, and subscribe there and like the videos. That would be fantastic. You can hit the bell icon and get notified anytime we go live, any of that stuff. If you're not following us, it's at cinema shock underscore or wait, at cinema underscore shock. That's the one. Yep, anyway, yep. <laughs> I just want to push that. If you like what we're doing, it takes a lot of time. It would be really cool. If you could tell other people about it, we we greatly
1: appreciate. It. Yeah, it's and free for the folks who are listening and are big fans. If you'd like to support, we have merch. We
3: yeah, do we do. Merch. We got t-shirts and shit. We got, we got all kinds of ho- stuff: t-shirts and hoodies and stickers and and
2: masks and
1: show your love. Uh, Fucking all kinds pins. Of stuff.
2: You can you like, pin some shit. Like if you like yeah. pierce, if your nipples are pierced, you can like stick them right through there. <laughs> yeah, you can put a, our little skull guy on your nipple. That would be great. There you uh, go. Man, you want more really DJ? Tough. Man, yeah. Do you want more DJ? We can get DJ anytime. He's a, <laughs> yeah. he's like anytime. our bitch. We can get
0: just DJ like a, just like a toe. <laughs> you can get a toe anytime you need one. Right. <laughs>
2: Everybody loves DJ. Every time DJ comes on, I get messages about I love that guy's voice. <laughs> Makes me want to like correct mine because mine is like the obnoxious nerdy best friend who just like you put in the friend zone. DJs is like, the,
0: <laughs>
2: My name's DJ, I'm very cool, and everything I do is great.
0: <laughs> I hate him for it, but it's, it's <laughs> the truth, it's pretty ridiculous. But okay, <laughs> if you want to buy that
3: merch that we're that Todd was talking about, he- head to cinemashock.net, click on. The button that says shop, it'll take you to a threadless store where we've got all of that lined up for you. We've got T-shirts with our skull little guy on it. We've got the the whole Cinema Shock logo. And we've got ones that say Gary's catchphrase and my catchphrase and quite unfortunately, Todd's catchphrase. (laughs) Dottie has
2: the keys, which has somehow survived this long. It survived so long that it almost has to be a thing. Although I did get a message, I didn't tell you guys this the other day. But since we're talking about it, I did get a message the other day. I was like, "Where the fuck's Dean Cundy? And where the uh, fuck is Steen Kundi?
3: what we haven't done any <laughs> Dean Cundy movie yet. I know
2: we got to work back around. People still, still, people still like that son of a bitch, Steen Cundy. I mean, he's the the best there is. The best there was and the best there ever will be. Fuck yeah, he is. Fuck like <laughs> so, Brett, the hitman heart of cinema. He
3: is yeah. the Brett, the hitman heart of cinematography. <laughs> Dean, Dean Cundy, that son of a bitch. Uh, we'll, <laughs> you did it again, we'll, Dean. We'll get back around to Dean Cundy. I can guarantee because at least one of the series that I have planned in the coming months will definitely feature Mr. Mr. Cundy. So, nice. don't you worry. He's coming back.
2: <laughs> that's one hey, that's um, one through line we cannot drop is dean cundy <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey dj are you on the inter- you're not even on the internet anywhere are you
2: on the internet anywhere where people can follow you he's on twitter I, man he's dropping like bombs oh left yeah and right you, are on on you are on twitter you are on twitter i know twitter. you've dropped yeah. some of
3: your social media stuff dj yeah. listen is- seriously
2: dj writes some of the most fantastic articles you will read about cinema if you you gotta follow him you gotta follow dj tell them. Tell, tell him where you're at dj
0: I guess I do uh, Twitter and Letterboxed under the handle right knuckled. W-R-I-T-E.
3: Yeah. W-R-I-T-E knuckled. Twitter and Letterboxed. Follow DJ. Yeah, that's he, pretty much it. He's got some great insight. He just uh, did a great,
2: a great, a fantastic article about uh, the fucking Appalachia shit. The Hillbilly Elegy. Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, yeah. Still yeah. haven't watched that one. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> No, I well, was just like, I'm checking out of this one. I don't even give a shit. I'm gonna watch this like five years later when nobody cares anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, where can
3: you be found on the internet for our I'm listeners?
2: At, I'm at This Is Gary Horn. It's super easy to find.
3: I'm at Justin Underscore Bishop
1: Mister Todd A Davis on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, D and D Beyond.
3: It's still, still pushing that. <laughs> uh,
1: Go uh, buy my go buy my uh my slogan T-shirt.
3: Go buy Todd's slogan T-shirt, Justin.
1: Him. Everybody.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. Go if if Todd's slogan T-shirt outsells mine, I'm quitting the show.
2: That's it. I'm done. I'm quitting. I, I, I there's like I'm a party my... that wants to see that happen, like the Todd you part to see happen, but I don't want to see you quit the show. I'm yeah. yeah. <laughs> gonna see me fire myself. I, don't
1: believe I, want, I want to see you have the sit down and the discussion that leads to your firing with <laughs> so yourself. You just, I just want to see you humbled that you have to... Gary, to you, you
2: hate Iron that catchphrase
3: as much as I do.
2: I, I do hate it, but it would be funny to as the Iron Sheik says, like, bid you over and fuck you, old world style. Humble you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, if you do Very buy nice. any
3: of our merch, tag us. Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, we'll we'll repost you. Uh, They look good. The shirts look good. I'm excited about them. So uh, you can follow us at cinema underscore shock or that's on Twitter and and Instagram. We're also on Facebook or once again, cinemashock.net where you can find all of our episodes, all of our uh, show notes, all of our merch, all of everything you want to know about this show is on on that website. So until next week. Wait until two weeks from now. Actually, until <laughs> week
2: after next, you won't even miss this. You're going to be celebrating Christmas. So yeah, you, you you got other things to do. We'll all appreciate the week off. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Be excellent to each other.
1: Johnny has the keys. DJ, you can't D-Warser. change it out because there's a that's, fucking shirt. That's a weird one. <laughs> Johnny Isn't has not it? Keys make Johnny money. has yeah. the keys. It makes from money. Night of the Living Dead.
3: It's not even the best quote from right. Night of the Living Dead.
2: No, it's like no. <laughs> literally nobody doing trivia. If you were like, this this movie features the quote, Johnny has the keys. Oh, nobody on earth would get nobody. that, except a nobody listener of that. this fucking show, I guess. Yeah. Doubt, but
1: <laughs> we stand apart, guys. We stand apart. We'll help
2: you win trivia someday. If somebody <laughs> uses this. Oh, man. All right. All right. We're out. Merry Christmas,
3: everybody. Merry Christmas! Have a black Christmas.
2: (laughs) Have a black Christmas. Oh, I have to stop. (laughs) Stop.